Welcome back to Therapy Insiders podcast from Updoc Media. Thanks for tuning in, as always. Let's set this episode up. First of all, and I say it during this episode, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed it's taken this long to get this guest on this podcast. And the guest is Steve Anderson. Steve has a long, illustrious career in physical therapy and business. So it was, um, it was good to get him on on the show and, and chat. And I, I really enjoyed this conversation because we got to really delve into the nuance of thought and business. And we talked some current events. And I know if, if, if you're following all the recent stuff going on, um, some of it you might like, some of it you won't. But I hope you at least stick to the principles that we discussed about what it means to disagree and what it means to share thoughts. And uh, really enjoyed Steve's perspective on his journey to becoming a CEO and what it means to be a good leader. Uh, we talked about topic, topics such as vulnerability and some difficult decisions and some mistakes that he's made. And, I, and it was really cool. It was really, it was really eye-opening and encouraging. And really, I took a lot out of this conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I think you will as well. Steve has a lot to share from his experiences as uh, a CEO of a company, as well as what it took to get there. So let's get into it with Steve Anderson. Right after a word from our sponsor, WebPT. Therapy Insiders podcast is brought to you by WebPT. Now look, aside from being the best EMR in the industry, WebPT is part of the community. What I mean by this, go on their website, webpt.com, read the blogs, read the content, check out the data about the physical therapy industry. WebPT provides so much content and so much information because they are genuinely interested in helping push the profession forward. Even if you don't need an EMR, which most of you do, even if you don't need software, which most of you do, check out webpt.com for the business content for the advice, for the guidance, and for the data that WebPT has collected over the years that show the trends in our profession to help your business and help your understanding of the profession as a whole, where we're headed, where we've been, and how to improve. Again, check out WebPT.com. If you need an EMR, definitely schedule a free trial. If you're not there, check out the content. Well worth it. Welcome back to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Dr. Gene Chirakabrad here. Thanks for tuning in as always. So this year's been it's been it's been a fun challenge in terms of podcasting. Been still focused on entrepreneurship and business a lot. But we started the year out with a fitness twist. We talked about fitness and then integrating different models and then transitioned and obviously we've had guests that that span in terms of their specialties and and really their strengths and what's really cool is 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 always hearing the journey i think that the one the one element to to all business owners entrepreneurs or business-minded individuals is is the journey we we so focus on successes or sexy metrics in terms of how much money have you made how much how long you've been in business things like that though that's fine. Those are great. Those those are wide open topics, right? That's like asking somebody, so how's the weather? Or the typical question, so how's business? Asking somebody that's in business. Most people don't just go, yeah, you know, uh, we, we've struggled here and there. This, this, is, this is where some of our pain points are. Everyone gives you the same answer. We're doing fine. We're doing great. Everything's great. Nobody really delves in to, to the nuances and, and really explains their journey unless you really ask. So that's been one of the coolest things. 
And obviously, the longer you are in business, the more you have to share the journey and to explain the journey. And please understand that, in ter- to give you an analogy, cars change over time. We have Teslas that are electric now. They, they change how they look. They change aesthetically to keep up with the changing tastes of people. But the goal of the car still stays the same. It's to get you from one point to the other. Everything else in between is adjusted to, to make up for the times. It's very much the same in business. The goal is still the same. It's just the look, the accessories, and the way to sell the cars and the business is different. So I'm really, really excited to, to talk about the journey, to talk about the, the changes, the evolution of the car, as in the physical therapy business, but still making sure we understand what the goal is. And has the goal changed? Is, is, it, is it different now? Um, so the guest, our guest today is, uh, I think is gonna share uh, an incredible amount of knowledge on this topic and and share his journey and stories and I'm sure you're going to get a lot of um, gold nuggets from this as well. So Steve Steve Anderson, uh, I'm so excited. Uh, I, I told you off the air that I'm kind of embarrassed it's taking me this long to get you on the podcast, but we're definitely remedying that situation today. So thanks so much for taking the time. Well, thanks, Gene. I'm happy to be a part of your program. Now, we'll, we'll get into um, kind of where you started in physical therapy and, and your business business career. But let's kind of start at the end, like one of those movies where they show you the ending first and then work backwards to tell the narrative. When, when you go into work and you know, do, do what you do right now, what is the one drive that you have that kind of supersedes everything else? Why do you do what you do? Well, I should uh, preface that a little bit by saying I've, I've had a big change as of January 1, 2017. So I retired from my CEO position with Therapeutic Associates after being in that saddle for 19 years. And so now I'm in a new phase of, of my life, um, post-retirement, I guess you, you would call it, although uh, semi-retirement because I'm still doing some things. So uh, what really jazz is me and what really gets me up every day going is just that the interaction with people and, and just you know working with teams and working with with uh, leaders that that just um, you know aren't aren't happy with the status quo that aren't uh, you know that they just want to do something uh, bigger and better and and do it in a better way and so dealing with people like that that's you know I just love the interaction between people and talking and see what they're dreams are and vision and, and seeing if we can't, um, you know, work together and, and try and try and make those dreams come true. That's very cool. It's, it's about perspective, right? When, when you're dealing with other people, it's whether it's physical therapy or consulting or coaching, it's, it's about understanding their perspective and not so much your perspective and, and doing how you would do it. it. It's really connecting with them and, and seeing it through their eyes. Some people call it empathy, feeling like other people feel. And, um, you know, our, our, our friend Larry Benz talks about empathy a lot and breaks it down, I think, better than anybody that I've ever heard. Yeah. Uh, but what elements, how, how do you make that connection, Steve? How do you connect with whether you're coaching or um, if, if it's a patient that does... How, how do you build that genuine relationship? Well, I think you, you said it. You just have to look at it from their perspective of, of looking at, um, you know, what is it that, that they're feeling? And not that I can feel that exact same thing, but just trying to have an appreciation of where they're coming from. Because the way that I look at things is, is due to my experience through my career my life. And so, you know, they have the same things. I mean, it's just, to me, it's just kind of what we're dealing with in this country right now is there's a lot of judgment going on. And I sometimes wonder if we aren't taking the, um, uh, at least considering what, what, the, uh, what the oppressed or what, what others uh, could be going through as opposed to our own experience. It's very different. So I can't say that I know exactly how you feel because I don't, but hopefully I can ask enough questions to try and understand how you might feel. I feel like what gets lost is is nuance in that it's it's absolutes it's it's absolutes even in micro decisions that if you're if you're thinking this or you're feeling this then therefore it cannot be something else and to me I I see the most successful people is where they understand that you can have nuance and difference within thoughts and still be consistent in, in who you are 
how how do you how do you break that down? I mean, do, do you agree with that? Does that make sense? Uh, absolutely. We all look at it from different perspectives and and different things. We we're wired in different ways. As some of us are very analytical and and look at things from a, a data or a practical perspective. Others of us are more emotional and, and visionary and kind of think of the big picture. And so to bring those different things together, you have to be willing to uh, learn from from others and listen and and just uh, you know because you can't have it all so in my opinion the the great successes in the world are those that have great ideas and, and have great passion towards it but also are willing to listen to someone else who may have a different perspective or may have a different uh, idea and learning from that so that um, you know you just don't go off on a on the rocket ship in the wrong direction yeah, and this, uh, that, that's such a great point. I, I feel like one of the hardest things for most people to say is, I understand and I don't agree. Yeah. It's, it, y- you don't want to admit any kind of weakness. And then I think it goes back to vulnerability that most of us don't want to feel vulnerable or feel like we're losing. And again, that, I think that speaks to us personally, like you said, a lot of times. And, and it becomes a big fault in business, whether it's an ego or uncertainty, which there always is. If if you're if you're talking with with a client that you're seeing is experiencing this, and we we know a lot of clinicians, especially business owners, experience this because they kind of get into business without a ton of business knowledge and experience. How do you coach them through something like yeah, that? Yeah, I think that you know it's a a great point. I, I just think we need to be okay with that we don't know things. Um, how refreshing is it for you to be in a conversation with somebody and you ask their opinion about maybe some current event or some world event and they would come back with you and say, that's really interesting, but I, I don't really, I'm not, I don't have enough information about that or I don't know enough about that to give a, a qualified or, you know, a beneficial response to that. So, uh, you know, I just need to learn learn with that with you, you know, type of thing. I mean, how refreshing is that as opposed to somebody giving you an answer that is an uninformed answer? It's kind of my pet peeve in the world is that, um, you know, when people have uninformed opinions. So we, we need to be okay with the fact that, you know, I don't know a lot about that, so um, I, I probably shouldn't, uh, shouldn't uh, offer an opinion. That's, it's incredibly rare. That, that's why, like you said, it's, it's very refreshing. I mean, speaking of current events, to get a little off topic, obviously we have, we have a lot of stuff going on in, in the U.S. right now that's very divisive. And um, so I had a, a recent conversation with somebody, and they asked me, like, I feel like everyone's asking, like, what are your thoughts on, on the anthem protests? And my response was, it, it's, it's complicated, right? right? The nuance is I understand why they're doing it and I respect our ability as Americans to protest freely. I still don't like it because it's during the anthem because it's ingrained in me, right, to respect right. the flag. And, and and that's the comp the complicated part. I completely respect their ability to do it and their willingness and the the courage that you show to do that. But on the other side, I still don't like it. And and to me that's okay. And we had this conversation. They were kind of taken aback because they were expecting one or the other, right. like, I don't believe in those people, they shouldn't be doing it. Anybody, anybody that kneels is disrespecting yeah. the flag and that's it. Or it's where we have the constitutional right to do that. Yeah. It's it's both to different degrees. And um, it, they, they kind of had the same reaction. They didn't know how to respond to right. that I, versus just kind of going with their own and rhetoric. I think it's okay to just say, it's very complex, I'm conflicted, I understand both sides, um, don't force me to make a simple uh, opinion about you know the flag because we've heard from them many times it's not about the flag so don't keep forcing me to right. say it's about the flag so uh, you know I, I'm com- I've always been a person and it drives people crazy but I've always been a person I'm comfortable in the gray area it doesn't always have to be black or white so sometimes you're in the gray and that's okay you know you need to find your compass and, and, and work through it, but you don't always have to come out being black or white because uh, to me that, that makes it too simple and most things aren't that simple. Absolutely. I, I'm, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm an avid reader. I go through about a book a, a week and two of my favorites are negotiation books. One is called Getting to Yes. The other one is Never Split the Difference. Yeah. 
and they both kind of go at it at slightly different ways, but they, I think they build on each other, um, never split the difference, references getting to yes, and, and some of its strengths and weaknesses. But one thing that, that's been ingrained to me when I read Getting to Yes years ago was always principle, not personal. As soon as you make it personal, all objectivity goes out the window, and, and there, there's no negotiation at that point. It's, right. it's all devolved into thoughts and opinions and again, rhetoric. Right. So when I see things like this, it or any uh, again to kind of pull it back into the business world, uh, as soon as you as soon as you notice that it becomes a very personal conversation, then the whole middle ground or solution gets gets lost. And, and to me, it you should be bringing it back to, I, I get what you think, and I but don't make me pick a side. Right. Let's work towards a solution. Exactly. How do you address something like that? Well, and, and I, I just think I, I agree with you to a certain extent, but I would even say that um, I've heard that my whole career, that it's not personal, it's business. And I read a quote by Phil Knight not too long ago uh, from Nike, and he said, it's always personal. So, you know, again, you try and make it black <laughs> and white, and it's always personal. So right. it's just, it's who we are. Um, you know, you talk about reading books. One of the, one of the books that I've just really... Uh, resonated with me that I've read recently is called uh, Say Yes to the Mess. And basically it's okay to, to be in this, you know, in this gray area, this, you know, complex area and not knowing all the answers. But the key is to work through it, work together and listen. I mean, um, you know, I just saw a program the other night where um, uh, 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 I think he was a Green Beret, um, met uh, and he was a 49ers fan, and he had some connection to the NFL. I, I can't remember exactly the details, but he actually went to Colin Kaepernick and sat down and talked with him for two hours to try and understand mm. what he's trying to say and how he could relate to it and whatever. And what came out of that was that they both listened, and what came out of that was interesting because he said, I the, the Green Brace said, I understand what you're saying, but sitting during the national anthem is just really um, hard for me to handle. Would you consider kneeling instead of sitting? Because at least to me personally, it's not, it's not as bad. It doesn't look quite as bad. And Colin Kaepernick started kneeling after that. So that's the kind of stuff where, you know, how many of us have taken the time to sit down and really ask, what is it about this situation that, that you can help me understand more about your perspective? as opposed to coming forward with, here's my opinion, I'm judging you and you're doing it wrong. What can I learn from your perspective that maybe can help me understand the situation better? That's what I think we're missing right now. And that's a, that's a huge point. Obviously, the, the Kaepernick kneeling situation is current events and highlights a, a big issue, but there's so many lessons to learn from that. And I think we're, we're living in it now. There's no going back. So yeah. the best we can do is learn, adjust, and move on while correcting some of the mistakes, current events, and past events that led to this, obviously. Yeah. How, how, do you, how do you take a step back? Because a lot of times, the, I mean, we could always come back to psychology. I think psychology is a crucial element to any business, uh, whether it's physical therapy or anything else, to understand human psychology and, and behavioral science. If you take a step back and see that, you know, you know, a lot of people are projecting when, when they're having these these discussions and arguments. If you look at the association principle of, of psychology, meaning you assign your worth to another identity, whether it's an argument or your profession or, you know, we see this with youth athletes a ton that they're playing sports for so long that they are a baseball player or a volleyball player, and then when they get injured or something happens and they're not a volleyball player anymore, who are you? It's the same thing with, with arguments like this. You get so associated to a thought that it's your worth. This happens in business a lot as well. Your business is everything. You are your business, and your business is you. So when you, when you have these, these highly volatile type of conversations, do you have strategies to help kind of bring people back into, into a state of awareness so they know really who they are? Yeah, and I think what you're describing there, it, when I hear you say that, is, is uh, I would want to ask the question, you know, so, so what, what's the fear? What is your fear? And I think so much of what we do uh, today is out of fear. So fear of failure, 
um, fear of being judged, fear of being labeled, um, you know, those type of things. So again, uh, you know, it's, it's, I go back to, it's messy, you know, where sometimes you just have to sit down and talk and really listen and give your opinion, hear somebody else's opinion and just go back and forth. Now, a lot of people in business will tell you, oh gosh, that's a time suck. I mean, who's got time to do that? Well, the way that I look at it is if you do things well up front that take time, it buys you time on the back end. So um, in, in business, I just think if you can really try and understand where people are coming from, understand what their fear is or, or what their, um, their issue is, then I think you just have a much better chance of, of coming together and, and making something work as opposed to choosing sides, judging each other, and then digging your heels in. What are some of the fears you worked through in your oh career? Or I, I can tell you that when I became a CEO of a, of a fairly big company, um, you know, they talk a lot about the imposter syndrome. Um, I felt mm -hmm. that it was like, oh my gosh, you know, everyone expects me to have the answers. And so you kind of fall into that, that fear of being found out of maybe I, I don't have all the answers. And, and one of my most biggest regrets in that early time was that there were some individuals, a predecessor and some other people that um, were in the company before me that had retired and moved on, that I didn't call enough, that I didn't call and, and be vulnerable to them because I thought that they would think, oh my gosh, this guy doesn't know anything and he's running the company. You know, so in hindsight, now that I'm older and wiser, if I would have gone back and just said, it's okay if if I expose myself a little bit that I don't have all the answers, I would have learned faster and I would have been able to get to things a little faster. So um, again, we, we, you said it earlier in the program, but we get back to that vulnerability. Um, and that's tough in a leadership it's tough position. because you don't want people to see you or perceive you as weak. Um, and so we, we in this, um, in this society, uh, or our culture and in, in our country is that we look at vulnerability as weakness. And if we can just, um, you know, and, and there's degrees to everything. I mean, you don't want to go around, uh, you know, being a mess in front of everybody or they'll think, you know, what kind of leader is this? But on the other hand, um, how many times have, have you, from a parent figure or a leader, someone, when somebody comes to you and says, you know, I messed up. I, uh, I didn't do this right. I learned from it and I can do better. Um, how much better a message is that than somebody that just doubles down all the time or, or just continues to, to make the situation worse? So to me, um, I just think we need to be open about, um, you know, how we're wired and, and some people are more comfortable in this area than others. But I do know that when you work with teams and companies, when that team allows itself to be vulnerable and allows people to really get to know each other and, and become supportive of each other, that's when the magic happens. That's when things really go well because, um, you know, you, you see the same thing in families or business or whatever. That, that makes a huge difference. That's, that, that's such an important part. We, imposter syndrome is, is being talked about more often now. We, we have a lot of students that reach out to us um, in UpDoc, uh, me and my partner, Ben Fung, uh, we, we talk to a lot of students, physical therapy students, and um, it's, it's an, they feel like they are alone in this, like an, on an island, yeah. which, which to the point you're making that you're never alone as, as long as you're willing to, to be vulnerable and reach out because to me, the, the seesaw balance of being vulnerable versus going through what you're going through whether it's imposter syndrome or any other fear, like fear of the unknown, which goes hand in hand with imposter syndrome, okay. is so much worse because there's no getting out from that. Being vulnerable, it's uncomfortable at first, and then it gets better from there. Imposter syndrome, fear of the unknown, only gets worse and worse because you don't give yourself the, the ability to work through that. What are some steps that you did take through, through the years to kind of work through that imposter syndrome? Well, you know, I kind of feel like I, I did what everybody else did, which is kind of learn the hard way, you know. So, again, if, if uh, newer professionals are listening to this, I would just say that just be willing to admit you don't know everything. Um, I, I've talked to a lot of students, too, and I think that, uh, you know, a lot of students will tell you that their number one fear when they first take a new position as a physical therapist 
is um, they fear that the patient will say, how long have you been a physical therapist? You know, because what do you say, a week, you know, two weeks or whatever, you know, it's just, it's the fear of that because they feel that they'll be judged. But if you approach it in a sense of, you know, uh, being asked something, you know, let's say as a new professional and, and it's really not your expertise or you don't have experience with that, to me it would always be better to not, um, you know, get rid of the imposter syndrome in the sense the imposter syndrome person would, would try and make up an, an answer and probably use complicated words uh, to show people how smart they were. Um, as opposed to, again, the approach that, that, that I would probably use now would be, you know, that's a great question and, and, and I can see it's a concern of yours. I'm going to go talk to one of my colleagues who has a lot more experience in this area and I'm going to get back to you with some answers that I think can really help you. You know, so just a different approach than to try and answer everything when maybe you're not capable of, of giving the answer that you'd be proud of. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like with um, with imposter syndrome, when, like you said, people speaking differently, whether it's saying more words than they need to, saying bigger words, to me, I always get a sense like somebody is talking to be heard in a radius versus talking to connect with the person in front of you. Like they say these words and almost kind of do a peripheral glance to see if everyone heard them you know, like the, like a group type of um, atmosphere. And uh, you kind of sense that after you have enough conversations. And, and like you said, you, you, you give them the the okay to be vulnerable, saying, I understand this is a tough tough question, tough situation, and, and so forth, and, and let them kind of ease into that. Yeah, and I think that you can do that with colleagues and even patients if you ask permission, you know. So sometimes you can say things like, uh, um, are you open to uh, me, you know, looking at this further and getting back to you? Or, uh, um, you know, you know are, are you fine if I bring in another colleague on this or, you know, whatever. So just, again, just, uh, you know, don't always come with the, uh, uh, with an answer, even if you don't really know, the, don't always come with the, with the answer if you don't really know it. Absolutely. So let's go back to when you did become CEO. Tell us a little bit about that company, what you did before, and your transition into the role of CEO. Okay. I started as, you know, everybody else did, uh, working as a staff therapist, uh, working for a, a, a great company. Uh, it was called Therapeutic Associates, and, and it was started by um, uh, one of the pioneers in, in private practice, uh, Jim McKilla, and he had a partner by the name of uh, Bob Dykus, and so if you know anything about the private practice section, those names are pretty, uh, pretty um, solid in, in the history of, of the section. But they had this idea that um, if if we want to build this company and get bigger, that we need to offer the same opportunity to those coming on into the company as we had ourselves, which was to learn and grow, and then uh, uh, someday have some equity ownership. And so I started as a staff therapist, went on to become a clinic director, um, ran uh, uh, the first uh, physical therapy clinic in the company in the state of Washington because I started out in, in Portland, Oregon, and had some equity ownership in that and did that for 16 years. And during that time, I also uh, served on the board of directors uh, later during that time uh, of the company. And so when my predecessor announced his retirement, uh, it was uh, a, a great debate um, discussion amongst the board as to who should run our company going forward. And there were uh, quite a few people on the board that felt that healthcare is getting complicated. This is a business. Um, we we, pro we need to be run by a business person and uh, not a physical therapist to be successful in the future. And I just took the position of saying, I, I disagreed with that. I felt that as a physical therapy company, we should be run by a physical therapist and we could hire all the MBA and the business type people we wanted at the next level, but I thought the face and the, and the, the CEO of the company should be a PT. And so after many discussions and, and um, a lot of uh, turmoil, so to speak, during that time, uh, the board kind of agreed with that. And then it was kind of like, uh, okay, so if we agree with that, then who's going to be the next CEO? And to be honest with you, I hadn't really taken that position thinking it would be me. 
And so um, it really came down to two people, uh, me being one of them, and then they chose me to be the next CEO. So, you know, I was, uh, I knew how to run a, a, a fairly big PT clinic. I'd sat on the board of a PT company, but I'd never been in this position before. So there's a lot of uh, fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of, um, you know, I'm going to have to learn as I go. And that's a very exciting time, but it can be a high anxiety time as well. What are some of the first, toughest, biggest lessons you learned as CEO? Uh, probably one that um, that I had to learn the hard way was I, I'm, I'm a people first guy and I just always uh, wanna do what's, what's in the best interest of people as opposed to focusing on the numbers. And I had in my head that if I uh, took enough time, enough mentoring, enough coaching, enough attention to someone that uh, they could, anyone could develop into a, a great leader. And I think a lot of people can and a lot of people get there, but I also had to realize there's some people that just are not wired for that. And that doesn't make them less or that doesn't make them bad. It just means that, um, you know, they aren't, uh, wired that way to um, to lead teams or lead groups of uh, individuals going forward um, for a common vision. So um, I kind of had to learn that the hard way. And so um, sometimes people who I really thought, you know, I had uh, ideas that they would, would be in a different place, I had a tough time getting there. So once I figured that out, I think it was easier to um, just look for people, uh, their strengths, help them develop them, help them learn and grow and then those people will emerge who will become the leaders as time goes on. What was the, um, what was the biggest kind of gap between, in terms of knowledge or execution from going from running a clinic to running a company? Um, you know, to be honest, it's, 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 not, um, it's not that dramatically different. It's just, uh, you got more people to, to take care of, you got more people to worry about, and you've probably got bigger numbers to, to analyze. Uh, one thing that I can remember doing too is that um, one of my fears um, at those early stages was that I'm not, I'm not really a data guy, I'm not really a finance guy. So it's like, okay, if I'm leading this company that's you know, uh, worth millions of dollars, I need to understand that better, and I kept, you know, I would take some MBA caliber courses in finance and accounting and whatever, and you know they were they were good. I learned some things, but you know, when you sit there and analyze uh, Starbucks and Microsoft, it's a little hard to kind of you know figure out how does that relate to my company. Um, and so I finally hired this woman who was a um, uh, high-level uh, CPA in in, a, in an accounting firm. Uh, I got her name that she was really good at, at uh, teaching and. So I, I hired her to, to explain to me on, you know, here's, you know, on the spreadsheet and the balance sheet, on income statements and so on. And I went in and I, I was with her for about two hours. And finally, after two hours, she looked at me and said, so why are you here and why are you paying me money? And I go, so that I can understand this better so I can run my company. And she said, you understand it fine. You are doing great. You don't need to be the CFO and the CEO. You don't need to be an accountant. You have good enough knowledge to go forward, and so you need to focus your areas on your strengths and, and lead the company from your area of strength. And I thought, wow, that, that was worth the money right there to hear, say, hear her say that. So I think the point is, is that sometimes we, we think that we have to know every detail of every bit of the business. And uh, what I've learned is that if you surround yourself with the right people, you have um, a good team with you and you trust them and, and you uh, work well as a team, you don't have to know every detail of everything. You can, you can focus on your strengths and you can allow them to provide the, the company with their strengths. I love that. We, and, and we hark on that so much on this podcast. There is, um, there's an awesome TED Talk study and study done by Bill Glass and his companies and um, they looked at wh why did some companies succeed and some companies fail, and you know, the the most common thought is you need to have a good idea to have a good company, a good business, which is not the case. 
uh, what what he realized was it's it's team timing and then idea and then when you have the priorities like that then you see why some succeed when some and some fail and clear examples being that Netflix would not succeed 20 years ago when broadband and Wi-Fi were not readily prevalent so timing would have right. destroyed that um, and it, it's it's very similar and I love your your story and kind of the 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 growth and evolution of, of a leader that here very often and one of the biggest skills is the the ability to delegate and realize that the team is is of paramount importance how, how did you once you heard that how did you proceed yeah you know it's uh, uh tom DeAngelis, who became the private practice section president after i did loves to tell the story that he uh after he won the election and he said okay um you know i'm gonna take the reins from here what do i need to know and he laughs because i said delegate delegate and delegate <laughs> and uh, he thinks that's funny and but but it's true because again if you have a good team and I think the number one job of the leader is to ensure that they have a good team and if you have a good team then you need to trust them and then you need to delegate and you need to uh, let them do what what they can do best and and the leader more is almost more of a an organizer or more of a um, bring people together uh, type of role as opposed to knowing you know all the details of everything and so that's just been my approach and and, and I think it's worked well and 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 I'm not um, I'm not uh, challenged I don't know if challenge is the right word I, 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 I don't take offense I guess anymore to when people say well you know uh, you don't know the, the details or you don't know uh, uh, you didn't you, you know you I analyze the data and it says this, and, and I'm okay with somebody I know and trust telling me what the data says. I don't have to go in and, and pick it apart piece by piece. Absolutely. It's one of the, one of the key characteristics of, of good leaders, right, is, is the willingness to listen and interpret versus immediately reacting. Yeah, yeah. for sure. How do you, um, Steve, how do you define success? That's a that's a, a great question. Um, for me, uh, defining success is just uh, being able to achieve something uh, uh, with a group, um, with other people that you couldn't have done on your own. And um, you know, there's all different degrees of that for sure. Um, I, again, I, I think that you know a lot of people would look at success maybe from a analytical perspective of you know how much money and how many clinics and you know this but but I look at it more as uh, at the end of the day do I feel like we were able to accomplish something together that we couldn't have done by ourselves and to me that that would be success do you feel like you've achieved that well uh, um, I, I guess the word achieve uh, gives me pause because I don't think I'm ever uh, totally comfortable. I don't think I've ever achieved and here's the top of the mountain and now I can relax. Um, but I do think we made great strides in the company when I was CEO. I think we uh, came together well as a group. Uh, we expanded. I think we provided wonderful opportunities for um, for people in our profession and, and gave great care to our patients and so all those things if I look back on that I say yeah I think we we definitely did a good job could we do better absolutely you can always do better um, I think the the I think the time that you sit there and think oh okay I've made it then I think you're in trouble so I, yeah. I agree I'm glad I'm glad you picked on that word achievement because I feel like most people, when, when they talk about success, they confuse that with achievement. And I think there's a clear difference between success and achievement, where success can be defined in many different ways. And achievement is more of a collection of, of wins that, that most people kind of uh, focus in on because success really could be defined in a lot of ways and really comes down to mindset, which, as we know now, is such a crucial element of yeah. life. I think that we have to also, a, couple, a few years back at the Graham sessions, we, we were talking about, are you familiar with uh, strength finders in the, in the business world? There's 
there's a book written called Strength Finders, and um, I haven't read it, but I've so heard basically that. you it's, it's you take the, sur- the survey and then you come up with your five top strengths, and there's like you know 40, 40 potential strengths, and and so uh, this is pretty well accepted in the business world of being a very accurate um, uh, you know personality survey style. And so what we were interested in looking at um, was that Jim Homey and, and Nancy Reese and some other people had, had taken this to some of the schools, the PT schools, to see what are the strengths, what are the top five strengths of students in student programs, and then what are the top five strengths of people in different areas, like um, they gave the survey to people that were taking the executive private practice management program through Evidence in Motion and they gave it to the people that were coming to the ground sessions and, and we did a few, so we had a few years and this is not research um, savvy, you know, it's not research uh, proof, uh, you know, because it's more of a just kind of looking at the data. But what was really interesting was we found that, you know what the number one strength for most PT students is? Is achiever. And if you think about it, um, how do you get into PT school? You know, you gotta, you got to get good grades. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got you know you have all these things that you check off, which is what achievers do. They can look at something and say, okay, here's a goal. Here's what I have to do, and here's the things that I have to do to get there. And when I've achieved that, I've reached my goal. And so, if you look at it, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of um, a lot of our PT students are achievers. Yet when we look at others in the profession that are leading companies and 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 um, you know, kind of involved in the uh, the National Association, things like that. You see a lot of other strengths, not necessarily achievers, but you see, you know, visionaries, uh, strategic thinkers, lifelong learners, you know, things like that. And so I just think it's something that we need to be aware of that um, there's more to uh, being a great PT, in my opinion, than just being an achiever. Do you think... That's why there's such a lack of entrepreneurship yes. in the field. <laughs> I do. I think <laughs> it's, uh, and and I think that it, yeah, it, you know how I think how we admit students and how we get the attention, whatever. I think um, you know is 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 somewhat conducive to that. I mean, you look at most entrepreneurs um, in 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 the world, and they they don't. They don't fit into any conformity. They don't. They don't even do well in our school systems because they're just out there. And um, I don't think you get into PT school, get through through PT school by being uh, too far out there <laughs> because it's it's almost impossible to do. So I think you're right. And and then when we're talking about entrepreneurs, I do think that um, if again it's how you define entrepreneurs. But I think some people. I don't mean this to be negative, but a lot of people, even the PT world, that think they're entrepreneurs, you know, in my opinion, really aren't entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are somebody who um, takes high risk. They come up with a very unique idea. They bet the farm. They 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 put everything they have into it. And and uh, you know, I'm not sure you could find. Um, uh, a whole bunch of those type of people in the world of physical therapy. Now that doesn't mean it's negative, it just means that um, we just need to be realistic on what our uh, definitions are and um, running clinics and starting practices and things like that are all good things, but I'm not sure it really uh, falls under the entrepreneurship um, definition. Well, you're spot on and it's it's kind of music to my ears because I thought I was the only one that would ever say that. And it's, it's differentiating between a lifestyle business versus entrepreneurship. And for some reason, most people think that once they start a business, they're entrepreneurs right away, which is not the case. Like you said, they're, it's usually starting a lifestyle business, which still carries its own risk and stresses and, and rewards. But I wholeheartedly agree that entrepreneurship, it, it's not about what you want to do. It's about what you have to do, that, that there's this underlying drive and need to do it otherwise you might be happy but you'll never be fulfilled and it, it's like you said the, the goal is scaling high risk high reward breakneck pace and you're only looking forward and looking looking to do something like you have to do and um, 
there's just not there's just not a lot of that in, no, and, in and i would also even take it a, a step further and say that in my opinion you have to go into business um, for the right reasons and i i would say that a lot of people don't do that in other words let's look at private practice physical therapy you, if you go in for the right reasons in my opinion you're not going in because you don't want to work for somebody else you shouldn't go into business because you want to be your own boss. You shouldn't go into business because you want to control everything. You should go into business because you see an opportunity in a community that you think you can do better than anybody else and bring something unique and different and, and provide something to that community. That's, I think, what, what the reason to go into business for. And if you look at, you know, the big stories we all know of, you look at the Steve Jobses and the Bill Gates, you know, they didn't do what they did to make money. They didn't do what they did to be their own boss. They wanted to change the world and they saw something that said, wow, if I can do this, this can change the world. And that to me is the, is the definition of an entrepreneur and then going into business for the right reasons. I think if you focus on money, I've always said this, if you focus on money and that's your reason for going into business, you can do it for the short term, but I think it's hard to do in the long term and most people fail. Absolutely. To, to let's finish out with uh, along this topic. To me, there's there's two two huge elements for success as an entrepreneur. One, it's willingness to embrace uncertainty, and two, it's willingness to uh, accept and iterate failures. What are some of your essentials? And if those are, if you agree with those two, how, how do you how do you deal with uncertainty and failure as as uh, as a business as an entrepreneur? I think what you need to do is you need to build a culture where it's okay to to fail, and and that sounds so counterintuitive, right? Um, but if you have a culture that says, "Look, um, we're going to try things, and we're going to give everything we can behind, to get behind this thing and go for it," and if it fails, then we're gonna we're gonna uh, plan it, we're gonna study it, we're gonna act on it, and then we're gonna. Um, you know, uh, figure out a, a different way to, to tweak it or whatever, and then we're going to go at it again. And so if you have a culture that thinks like that, then I think that you can really deal with your, your failures, and then you have people that are not so afraid to fail. Because everyone says it. It's like the, you know, everyone agrees that we learn more from our failures than we do from our successes. So if that's true, wouldn't we get further and learn more if we failed more often? which sounds so counterintuitive in business. But if you have a culture that looks at something, plans something, tries something, and then um, if it doesn't work, changes to make it better, and, and you keep that process going, then I think you have a culture um, that can really um, uh, move down the road and, and, and be what, what I would call a learning organization, that you're always learning from everything you do, and therefore you get better and better and better because you um, have failed and learned how to deal with it. That's well said. To me, one of my favorite analogies is is baseball. That, and I, I used to play, I played baseball in college. So when when I got into business, it was it was it was very clear one to one connection to me. In 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 baseball, you're expected to fail. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, if if you hit. 300 you're failing 70 percent of the time and that's considered hall of right. fame numbers and it, it's to me it's the same in business it's yeah it's nice to get a home run once in a while but you make you survive on singles and you survive on striking out three days you know three times in and then bat knowing hey i got another bat coming up tomorrow and yeah. those that learn from those strikeouts and look forward to, to the next at bat are the ones to me that really strive and succeed in yeah, moving when forward. I, um, when I gave my uh, uh, DICA speech with, on, for the, for the uh, private practice section award that I won in 2010, the theme of that speech was it's the little things, not the big things, who make us who we become. So I totally agree with you. You know, sometimes we get hung up on having to do this, you know, big and grand thing that then becomes a huge success story that we all celebrate. But it's really all those little things, all those singles, as you say, all those things that, that prepare us and we learn and then we readjust and we learn again and we readjust and we learn again and then you look at the, you know, over a long period of time and then you see where you've gotten and that's really, to me, what, um, 
what good companies do. Absolutely. So let, let's finish out with kind of where you are now. What are you doing now? Where can uh, people get a hold of you if they want more information? Yeah, I, um, I am doing uh, executive coaching now. Um, I have a, a small little company uh, called Orange Dot Coaching. And uh, I'm working with uh, CEOs and, and other leaders um, to try and uh, um, help them improve and, and learn you know, a lot of things that we talked about today. So um, uh, I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, it's, 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 you, know, you, it, you always feel good when you feel like you're doing something that's right in your wheelhouse, and I think that is. So um, you can find me on um, uh, orange.coaching.com. And uh, you can also, I'm on Twitter at Steve Anderson PT. And uh, those are probably the two best places to run me down. Um, and uh, it's just something that I've, um, I've, I felt like I've kind of uh, had in my mind for a while and, and making it happen. And it feels good and I'm enjoying it a lot. The constant thread through your career, working in companies that help other people. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, Very to cool. me, uh, and again, you know, it's 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 going back to your strengths and your personality, and it's what what um, I thrive on, which is um, working with people, helping people learn and grow, and then together accomplishing something something better. So to me, that's to me that's much more fulfilling than for me to go out and do something totally on my own and and saying, um, you know, I, I achieved it. I. I'm a, I'm a people person. I, I think that uh, working together in a team is, is really fun and fulfilling. And so um, to continue to do that in, in my coaching uh, uh, business is, is really fulfilling to me. Very cool. It's all about those relationships. Sure. And one of, the, one of the greatest things about physical therapy is we, more than most medical professions, we get to build those relationships yeah, with people. absolutely. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, thanks so much. Um, really appreciated the, the whole story, the journey, your your input, and and um, some of the lessons that you've learned in your career. And I know the imposter syndrome is going to resonate with a lot of people. Uh, it's something we hear about a lot. So thank you for shining a spotlight and, and well, thanks, sharing your Gene. story. I appreciate what you do and uh, getting the word out. And um, I've really enjoyed uh, talking with you today. Thank you.